other. You start them hugging on each other and you may not get them back. Um, I hope if you're visiting with us that you got a hug because this church loves to give those and uh, they're pretty good at it. So we're, uh, we're hoping that you feel welcomed and with us this morning. There are tons of things. If you want to get plugged in, stop by what they call the hub out here on the outside in the foyer. They will give you opportunities to get plugged into the works of this church. There are uh, so many things going on in this congregation that I, I won't attempt to name them all, but I do want you to know about some of them. There used to be a group called Sewing Sisters. Do you remember that? Some of y'all, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Well, that's, that's as far as since I've been here, that's the legacy of Jeannie Boucher, and we try to keep that alive because of her. Um, also in that, though, now that they have, have stopped being gender exclusive, and, and so now there are boys in that, and they call themselves So Bros. And, and they come together on, on Tuesday nights, right? And, and they sew. And what they sew are, are surgery caps for children who are undergoing surgery at Texas Children's Hospital. And this week, they sewed their 600th cap and delivered those. Yeah. So, if you're part of that ministry, would you stand up just for a second so we can honor you? So, all right, one more time. One more time. There you go. Thank you. Y'all be seated. That's just one. I could tell you lots of stories. I enjoy telling these stories because this congregation is alive and active and and reaching out into the world around us. And so we hope that if you're visiting with us that you say, hey, that's something I want to be a part of because we want you to be a part of it. Um, This morning we're starting a new series we're going to do throughout March and April um, called Rediscovering Jesus. I, I call it that because... We all have a pretty good idea of who Jesus is, but sometimes that idea has been clouded by culture, by, by tradition, by uh, familiarity even, and, and we miss seeing how revolutionary, how amazing Jesus really was. But alongside of that, we just finished a series on Hosea, and, and Hosea was preaching to a people who who honored God, but, but only on certain days and in certain times. And the rest of the time, they went around serving idols and doing whatever they wanted to. And, and we're trying not to be that. We are endeavoring here to be people who love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And, and in order to do that, we've got to really, really press in on how do we connect better with God. So for the next few weeks of this series, I think there's going to be like eight weeks, I'm challenging the congregation to do some form of fast on Monday. Now, I'm not asking you to give up all your food. I'm not asking you to uh, uh, rip your clothes and put ashes on your head or anything like that. I don't care that anybody else knows. What I am asking you to do is figure out something that takes up too much of your time, too much of your energy, too much of your focus, too much of your heart, and set it aside for a little bit, whether it's a day or an hour, and focus that time on God. That's what fasting was about originally. The, the original uh, idea was that culture was always based on food. 
they would get up in the morning and they'd start having to prepare food because they had to feed themselves. And, and they would spend all day preparing one meal or preparing another or getting the food or preparing the food. And then they'd do the same thing again the next day. And so God says, I want you to take one day off and I want you to quit preparing food and focus on me. That's what a fast was. Well, we don't have that problem with food. We've got vast pantries and refrigerators and freezers. And if we don't have that, we've got restaurants on every corner. And so that's not a big deal to us. But what is a big deal is maybe I need to put my cell phone away for a day. Uh-oh, that's hard, right? Maybe I need to not watch Sports Center one time at night and spend that hour in, in prayer or, or, or seeking God. So that's what we're talking about. Think about yourself, and along with this series, we're going to do that all the way through into, into April. And we're going to try to end uh, around April 20th and, and with a 24-hour prayer vigil where we'll have you sign up to pray. So that's a lot of things that are coming up. But as we start this, I want to talk about the metaphors that are used to explain the impact of an individual or an event on history. When you hear people talk about the, the metaphors or, or, or the ideas that are used to, 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 to describe the impact of an individual or an event on history, you'll hear people talk about words like footprint. What kind of footprint does that individual leave? What kind of footprint did, did that person leave? That, that means how, how, did that, uh, how did that person affect time, affect future generations? Or maybe they talk about ripples. They talk about that, that we don't live in a vacuum, and so when a person or an event occurs, there are ripples that come out from that that affect the entire world. And, and so as those ripples come out, you try to explain where did they come from. We don't exist in a vacuum, so where did, where did that come from? Now, this is a question that scientists love because this is what science is all about. Science likes to take something like that, like a footprint or a ripple, and, and figure out in a quantifiable way what caused that, where did that come from, and how does it affect other things. So the question of a footprint, for example, you would say, was, was it a giant? Was it a Sasquatch? Was it a hoax? Um, that's my brother. No, no, seriously. He's gonna li- Mom's going to listen to this on the Internet, and so now she's going to want to know. That's a picture of a Sasquatch, Mom. Um, sorry, that was totally off script. Um, but, but there are those questions. What, what, what caused that? You know, if, if it's a ripple uh, or a wave, what caused the wave? Was it a, a whale? Was it an underground earthquake? Was it an explosion? And... and Whatever the question is, you, you have people who from time to time will, will attempt to apply that to their understanding of God. And, and people will say to me, there is no scientific evidence for the existence of God. Have you heard that? The problem is, is that science doesn't bear that out. If you, if you get to look in and you really bear down into the science, you'll see that science doesn't support that argument. As, as studies continue to come out, they suggest that the deeper we go into the quantum physics level, in, into the molecular understanding, we find a pattern that emerges. A pattern that, that made it where, that, that was redundantly redundant, where life had no choice but to exist. And scientists are increasingly coming to the conclusion that there's no way this could happen by accident. Because there's no scientific example ever of something coming from nothing. So the theory that there was nothing 
and then it all blew up and we got pandas is not a viable theory. And so scientists are coming to understand that. But they will also attempt to use that to describe Jesus. And you'll hear people say, well, there's no evidence that Jesus ever existed. The problem with that is that doesn't bear up under history. Because there are plenty of historical records that show that there was a man named Jesus who was active in the polity of Judea during the Roman reign and during that time. So you can't go and say, well, he didn't exist or, or that, that the people made him all up. The, there, his footprint, his ripple still continues to affect us even today. Now, my first introduction to Jesus was flannel graph. You remember that? Kids, that was where, that was how they used to tell us the Bible stories. They had these little pieces of felt and they stuck them on this carpet and, and they would tell the story while they did that. Y'all, see, y'all, y'all don't know what you're missing. But, but flannel graph Jesus was, he was kind, and he was sweet, and he was gentle. And, and all he wanted was for me to be happy. And all he wanted was, was for me to feel protected. And, and that was flannel graph Jesus. Now, a lot of us have never grown out of flannel graph Jesus. But that's still who we have. That was my first understanding of who Jesus was but then you start getting older and you watch the movies right you've seen all the Jesus movies that that Jesus is portrayed in a, in a variety of different ways maybe he's meek and mild or or he's soft-spoken coincidentally he always looks American um, he, he was like a, a gentle uncle maybe who everybody loved um, and and then growing up in my church there were the sermons because the Jesus that was talked about in the church of my youth was a lot different from both the movie Jesus and the flannel graph Jesus. The Jesus that I grew up with was judgmental and harsh. He was angry. And he was mad at me because I was not good enough. And, and he demanded a, a strict adherence to his rules and to his dogma. And if I, if I strayed outside of that, I would be cast out of the kingdom. So all these different pictures and portrayals of Jesus come about. Says Jesus is. That he's all of those things and he's none of those things. No matter what people may believe about it, the, the life of Jesus is so important. Think about this. What other figure, the life of uh, the birth of that individual separates history. The birth of Jesus Christ separates history into what happened before it and to what happened after it. That's a pretty big ripple, wouldn't you say? That's a pretty big footprint. More than 1,900 years later, H.G. Wells says, a historian like myself who doesn't even call himself a Christian finds the picture centering irresistibly around the life and character of this most significant man. The historian's test of an individual's greatness is what did he leave to grow? Did he start men to thinking along fresh lines with a vigor that persisted after him? By that test, Jesus stands first. That footprint, there's none like it. Think about this. One third of all people on earth claim to be Christians. One third. That's a lot of folks. That's a very, very large footprint. 
Yale historian Yaroslav Pelikan wrote, Regardless of what anyone personally thinks or believes about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. That's a pretty big ripple. Let's put it in a little bit more earthy terms. The name of Jesus has become so common that it's even used as a swear word. Think about that. Think about how ridiculous it would be to hear a carpenter hit himself with a hammer and go, Jeff Gunn. Right? That's ridiculous. But Jesus has had such a ripple, such an effect, that that's even how His name is used even today. During Jesus' time, there there was always an air of revolt. There was always messiahs cropping up, claiming to be the the redeemer of Judea under the Roman occupation. And, And coincidentally, Rome always put those messiahs down. And, and did so in, in a very violent and very demonstrative way. But think about this. We can't name any of those other revolutionaries. It's not a test. We can't. Because many of them, their name didn't even survive to be recorded in history. We don't even know what their name was. We know that there was rebellions at this time or that time. But we can't even tell you who those people were, but people remember Jesus. We can't remember the names of the high priests or the religious figures of that time, or even after it. Yet people remember Jesus. You don't find people lying on their hospital beds saying, Man, if I could only remember the names of two more Jewish leaders. But they will lay there and talk about Jesus. That's a pretty big footprint. That's a pretty big ripple. See, but before Jesus, there was no childhood. Think about that. Before Jesus, children were the lowest of the low. They were below slaves. They were the lowest of the low. And here comes a rabbi, here comes a teacher who says, unless you change and become like children. Here is a rabbi, a teacher who says, Don't stop them. Let them come to me. And so his followers changed the world. And changed the way we look at children because of Jesus. That's the ripple. You you won't ever see that happening with anything else. What I mean is you will never see the There Is No God Memorial Atheist Children's Hospital. It doesn't exist. Because the followers of Jesus follow in His footsteps and we value children. That's one of the ways the the footprint of Jesus changed the world. Before Jesus, the sick and afflicted were rejected. They were cast aside. They were put out of the the, the community. They, They were left to fend for themselves. There weren't such things as hospitals or treatment facilities. Culture dictated that the sick be shunned. If you became seriously ill, you were to live outside of the village. But Jesus changed all that. Jesus touched lepers. Jesus didn't shy away from blood. Now you can't drive through a town without seeing His influence. You can't drive through a town without seeing a a St. Luke's hospital or something similar. Coincidentally, you don't see the... Buddha Temple Memorial Hospital or the Hale Ahmed Muhammad 
Cancer Center, but you do see the followers of Jesus reaching out to the sick and the afflicted. Before Jesus, women were property. Women had no value. If you want to see how badly women were treated, go back and read Judges. The book of Judges is, is a, a horrendous tales of, of how women were property or less. They had no value. They had no say. But Jesus changed that. Jesus loved women. Jesus valued women and treated them as people. Do you know how unusual it was for a rabbi to teach a woman? Yet Jesus allowed women to be among his disciples and he taught them. That was unheard of. That didn't happen. What happened, what was common, and many of you have heard this, that that there was a prayer that rabbis would pray, Lord, thank you for not making me a Gentile or a woman. There's no record anywhere ever of Jesus praying that prayer. Jesus changed the world because his attitudes toward women affected his followers. And it changed everything. A scholar from the University of Chicago estimates that more has been written about Jesus in the last 20 years than in the previous 19 centuries. There are currently something around 65,000 books about Jesus in print today. However, Jesus is portrayed in a variety of ways. A a magician, a political revolutionary, charismatic, a rabbi, a a, a Jewish cynic, a Pharisee, an anti-Pharisee, an eschatological prophet, all manner of things. And, And just like Ricky Bobby in Talladega Nights, Everybody wants to see Jesus the way they see Jesus. You remember that scene? I wanted to play it, but I couldn't find a clean version of it. There, there is a scene where they're having grace, and, and they talk about, well, I like to pray to the baby Jesus, because that's the way I like to picture Jesus. Well, no, and his buddy says, well, I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt. And, and they go around and they talk about how we picture Jesus. And it's so true because it also carries over into our lives. We all picture Jesus in a way that we like to see Him. So, who was Jesus? This is His footprint. This is His impact on the world. But who was He? John, in the Gospel of John, calls Him the Logos. That means the Word. The Word of God. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Yet many times today in churches we've become so focused on the words of God that we've lost track of the Word. That we've forgotten the logos. We've forgotten the message. That's Jesus. This congregation has a sign on the outside of our building that proclaims us to be an assembly devoted to Christ. Yet in many churches with that same sign, you'll find more discussions about instrumental music and gender roles than you will about Jesus. Jesus is the message. Jesus is the word. Jesus is what we focus on. And that word became flesh and dwelt among us. I had a young man tell me once, I I can't believe any of that church stuff. I just don't believe that stuff. And I said, well, what would it take? 
What would it take for you to believe it? He said, well, I think I'd have to have God come down and physically appear to me. And I said, so you're asking for Jesus. Because that's what happened. The Word was made flesh and made His dwelling among us. So who is Jesus? Jesus says to His disciples in John chapter 1, verse 39, Come, and you will see. So that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. We're going to walk through the life of Jesus. We're going to come and see. We're going to follow. Hopefully, we can do this with fresh eyes. That we can peel away layers of doctrine and culture and tradition and familiarity and, and rediscover who Jesus is. Because we want to be people who love God with all of our being. Heart, soul, strength, and mind. And we want to be people who follow closely after Jesus. We want to be people of the Word rather than the Word being an academic exercise of studying a book. So, if you're here this morning and, and you're struggling with this whole idea of Jesus, I'm thrilled that you're here. You are right where God wants you to be. If you're here this morning and you say, I'm not sure about all this, welcome. We want you here. We're thrilled that you're here. Because once you are introduced to Jesus, your life will never be the same. You ask Peter. Peter was a fisherman and had his whole career mapped out in his mind. And in a couple of encounters, his entire life is changed. In a couple of encounters, he goes from being a poor fisherman to the man who stands before all the people in the temple and proclaims, let all Israel be assured of this, Acts 2.36. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Both Lord and Christ. Because his relationship, because he discovered Jesus, his life was forever changed. That's what happens when you discover who Jesus was. So how do you explain Jesus? How do you explain his footprint? How do you explain his ripple? Hopefully we're going to walk through this journey and learn that. Hopefully together we will find a way to make this our story. Because we realize that even though our story sometimes doesn't make sense, even though our story sounds wild, that God was made flesh, was born of a woman, walked among us, was killed horribly on a cross and raised on the third day. Even when our story is improbable and outlandish, it's the only story that adequately explains the ripples of Jesus. It's the only story that explains why there are people gathered together in buildings like this all across the United States this morning singing the name of Jesus. C.S. Lewis famously said to those who believe Jesus to be a good teacher, Lewis said that wasn't an op option. He said Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. That's our only three options. 
Either he's deliberately pretending to be something he's not. He's insane and pretending to be something he's not. Or he's exactly who he says he was. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God But the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made Him known. This morning, if you're one of those who are struggling with that, I encourage you to discover Jesus. Let us help you. We're going to sing a song right now, and that song is designed to give you an opportunity to come forward. Let us pray with you. Let us help you find out who this Jesus is. That's what we're here for. Our job, our mission is to love God and to love people. And in doing so, to lift you up high enough that you can have a relationship with the one who will change your life forever. Won't you come to him right now while together we stand and sing? I have decided.